You're listening to the Promise Church's Message of the Week. This week, we have special guest Eric Gilmore, whose main goal is to bring the church into greater intimacy with Jesus. We hope you enjoy this teaching. Hi. (laughs) You know, being able to travel and go to different churches, you get to see the spiritual health of the people just by getting around the leadership and seeing how they communicate with one another, the peace they walk in, the joy they walk in. You can really assess a church's condition by just kicking it with the leaders a little while. And here, being around your pastors, how many of you are members of the church here? Let me see your hands. Raise your hand if you're not a member, just to make, okay, so there's not many. (laughs) The love of the Father the grace of the Lord Jesus and the fellowship of the Spirit are very evident in your leaders. I want to honor your leaders here because you guys have a foundation underneath you that will bring grace into the whole of your life. Paul said this, he said, you are partakers of my grace. So the grace that was on Paul was trickling down onto the people, or probably better to, be, to say that the grace that was on his life went up to those that he was underneath. The beautiful thing about leadership in the biblical pattern is that it's like a foundation, it's below. And you don't really see them in the sense of everyday life of the church is seen by you being in your everyday situation. And underneath you are leaders that are praying for you and pouring into you like the foundation of this building right now. A lot of leadership today outside of the biblical pattern wants to be the roof, wants to be the thing seen and wants to stand on you. But good leadership lets you stand upon them. And that's what I see here. And I just want to say that it's wonderful to see it and I'm honored to be uh, a small part of the church in, this, in, the, in the way of ministry today. So I really honor you guys. Thank you so much. My wife and my kids are with me. They don't get to travel with me very much, but they're here right now. If they could just stand up, let us see. This is Leah here in the front. <laughs> That's my wife, Brooke, and my daughter, Madison, my oldest, right there. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're very precious to me. Crazy. My wife and I met when she was younger than my daughter. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? My brother married her sister. We've known each other since we were just kids. We grew up together. And uh, our life together is at a point now where I never even thought it was possible. The grace of God has come upon us and blessed our family. Uh, I want to share with you the word of the Lord this morning. Is that okay? You guys, do, you, do you guys like bread from heaven? I want to tell you, I went there and got some, and I'm going to give it to you today, okay? (laughs) Eric, you went into heaven? Yes, it's very easy, actually. All you got to do is say, I love you, Jesus. I worship you. I give you honor and glory, Lord. There's nobody like you. I give you honor and glory. There's no one like you. When you start getting still on the inside, you start going up unto God. A lot of times, it's the scatteredness of the soul that keeps us bound to the earth. 
A lot of times people can't experience the wonders and bliss and pleasures that there are inside of God because they're still clinging to something they want from Him. But when you let everything go and you say, oh, I only want you, Lord, that's real love. And love pulls you into God. It was the writer of the famous classic, The Practice of the Presence of God, Brother Lawrence. How many of you know this book? He said, the shortest way there is to God is to love him. He said, I have found that all spiritual external exercises amount to nothing compared to simply doing everything unto him and loving him. So this is what I want to talk to you about today. Is that okay? You know, there's an interesting verse in Hosea. God says to his people, he says, they cry out to me, but they do not worship me. Oh, how often the church has fallen into this trap. We cry out to God, but we, don't, we won't take time just to look at him and enjoy him. I really feel like a lot of people are trying to grab hold of God's hands and make him do what they want him to do instead of just letting go and saying, I give myself to you. And this is the reason why I believe so many people do not know the ease and simplicity that Jesus has opened for us. It's, it's the additions that get in the way. So in John chapter 4, I want to look at this real quick. Verse 23, this will be my starting text and we'll, we'll build from here. I'm not going to go very long, but I do ask you for all of your attention. You want to know why I ask you for all your attention? Because in the book of Proverbs, the Bible says, my son, give me your attention, and receive my words. So the only way for the words to pass in to you, the bread that I received from heaven that I want to give to you, if you want it to go into you, to digest it, listening, giving attention, will cause it to go in on the inside. A lot of times it's the splitness of humanity that blocks them from being able to receive the richness of God's words. They're thinking of this, that, and the other, and they partially give attention to God and therefore they receive partial answers or partial bread and they wonder why they're malnourished. <laughs> the reality is, is this, if we will give him our attention, he will give to us his words. In John chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus is at the well. How many of you have read this story of Jesus with the woman at the well? The disciples have went to go get food for Jesus. They feel like he needs food because he's been He's been working, and he's at this well, and a woman comes to draw well, water out of the well, and he looks at her, and, and uh, he says, give me a drink. And then she's, she looks at him, and she's like, you don't even have nothing to, to draw with. You know, you want me to give you a drink? How, why are you even talking to me? You know, you know this whole story. And then Jesus says this really strange, strange. You know how cryptic Jesus, Jesus is? He's just very cryptic, isn't he? He'll say weird things like, I am the way. What does that even mean? You're a person. How can a person be a way? Well, it's because he sewed himself together with the way because he knew you and he knew me and he knew we'd try to find a way and forget him. So he says, I am that way. So you can't try to find a way without me. He made himself the core, the crux, the root. You cannot get away from him. It's so funny how we try to get around him, isn't it? It's so funny how we tried to get around God. You know, another cryptic statement that Jesus says is, I am the truth. That doesn't make any logical sense. 
But Jesus knew you, and he knew me. He knew humanity, and he knew this. He knew that we would seek truths and forget him who is the truth. So he sewed himself together with the truth. Do you want to know what's true? Look, in, look at me. It's so crazy. He's standing in front of Pilate when he's suffering, bleeding. He's going to die. And he's standing in front of Pilate. And Pilate says to him, what is truth? You know what Jesus says? Nada. Nothing. Because if he can't see truth staring at him in the eyes, no string of words could have ever brought him to understanding. Jesus is the truth, and he has made it this way. So Jesus is here, and he says this cryptic statement to this woman. He says, if you knew who it was who was asking you for a drink, then you would have asked me to give you a drink. It's, isn't this interesting? He asks her for something, and he says, if you knew who it was who was asking you for something, you would have asked me to give you something. Because if I give you the water that comes from me, you will never thirst again. I'm talking about water that's alive. Water that is my actual person that satisfies the soul. If you knew who it was who was talking to you, you would say, give me you. It's interesting to me that he expresses a desire to her. And then he says, you should have desired something from me which shows me that God's greatest satisfaction is when he is all our satisfaction. The greatest and most satisfying thing in life is to God, is to be satisfied by God. And I've said it once and I'll say it to the day that I die. As a matter of fact, I got it from John Piper. This quote is a, a piece of gold. It's worth a whole semester in Bible college. He says, sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with God. And I'll take it even further and say sin is not allowing God to be your satisfaction. So we see Jesus saying this incredible statement to her. But then he says this. He says, an hour is coming, and now is, this is verse 23, when the true worshipers, that means that there are false worshipers. This means if Jesus has to clarify these are the real ones, then there must be some that are not real. So he says, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. This is so important for us because Paul goes on later in his writings and he says, we are not those who worship externally. He says, we are those who do not put any trust or confidence in the flesh. We are the ones who give ourselves to God completely in the spirit. I'm telling you, you cannot worship God without the Holy Ghost. You need the Spirit to erupt on the inside of you. I was just worshiping here during this beautiful worship set with my daughter, and I had her hands, and she was sitting, standing in front of me, and I had her hands, and I was worshiping, and every movement that I made, I was holding her hands, and her hands were doing everything that I was doing in a miniature form because I was holding on to her. And it hit me, that's the beauty of real worship. When you just are relinquished to God and let the Holy Ghost go back up to God through you. That's real worship. The Trinitarian union, the Father in the Son, the Son in the Father, all by the Spirit. Their, their mutual satisfaction one with another. You are invited in to yield into the Trinitarian fellowship. And this is the greatest bliss anybody could ever experience, ever in any world. 
And this is it, and you've been invited into it. And Jesus says this, the true worshipers do this. They yield to the Spirit and let the Spirit come through them. This is real worship. And then he says this, these are the kind of people that the Father seeks. Listen closely. Men seek God, but God seeks worshipers. What do you mean? Men are trying to figure God out. Just go to the Eastern world somewhere and talk to a Buddhist person who's been seeking God for 45 years, trying to find out how to please him. He's miserable, though he says he has Zen, he has nothing. The entire world is trying to find out where God is. But God is looking for where his worshipers are, those who will yield to him. You know what's crazy to me? Is that the Bible says a phrase that's as wild as this. That it, God humbles himself to look upon the earth. Did you know that the psalmist said this? He said God humbles himself to even look at the earth. He is so magnificent and glorious. He dwells in light that cannot be approached. And he is manifesting humility by even giving attention to this planet. That's how glorious he is. But he doesn't just turn attention to this planet, the Bible says that the Father's heart is searching. His very eyes are searching to and fro. This phrase, to and fro, has to do with going all over the world. He's looking for something. His eyes are going to and fro, looking for a heart that is completely His. That, my friends, is true worship. Here's my heart, God. I've been recently touched by the old Elvis song. Take my heart. Take my whole life too. Because I can't help falling in love with you. This is the real worship. This is real worship that has nothing to do with outward forms, but an inward eruption. Take my heart, God. Take my whole life, too, because I can't even help falling in love with you. I believe with all my heart that this is the message that God wants to encourage you with today. I have, my ministry is very much like an Acts 14.31, going to the churches and lifting them up, just encouraging them. I know there are situations in this room that I don't, I don't have any idea about. You are going through things right now that I may never have gone through before. There are so many variables to your life that I'm not aware of, but I have come to you to lift you up, to encourage you, and to breathe fresh life into you so that you could see that even in the midst of all the things that are going on in your life, you can love Him. And in loving Him, your heart will exchange with Him. And then you'll begin to find out that there exists no match for the meeting of the eyes of God and man. And when you look at him and he looks at you, you have found everything that your soul could ever actually obtain or have. There's no greater fulfillment. There's no greater satisfaction in this life than looking at God while he's looking at you. You say, Eric, you don't have any idea what I'm going through. Oh, I'll tell you, whatever you're going through isn't anything close to what Richard Wormbrandt went through. What do you mean? Who's Richard Wormbrand? Who's a Romanian pastor who was put 14 feet beneath the earth in solitary confinement for seven years for preaching the gospel. He was fed one slice of bread a week. He's dying in solitary confinement. And he says this. He goes, 
But the guards, they didn't even know that they gave me an instrument. You think, what instrument was it? He says, my chains, I turned them into symbols unto God. And he says, you think that I was in hell. Then he says, no, no, no. Hell is to be without his presence. Maybe you're here right now and you don't live conscious of God's presence. Why are you choosing hell? Why are you choosing depression? Eric, I'm not choosing depression. If you choose not to give attention to his presence, you've chosen depression. If you choose not to give him his proper place and adoration and love exchange with him, all your ducks can be in a row and you can be completely and totally void. Your doctrine can be as straight as a gun barrel and just as empty. It's worship of the heart going up unto God. It's the exchange. It's when the hearts touch. That's the kiss of heaven. Here's my love. His love has already been bestowed upon you on the cross. He can't do anything else. He's done the maximum. When he bled on that tree, every drop of blood was a symphony for your love. His heart was literally going up, out, wanting Love, if there's any cry coming from the heart of God, it's this. It's love me. Love me. Somebody says to me, what's God saying? When I don't know a specific thing that God is saying for a person, I will tell them these two words. This is what God is saying to you. And I know it like I know my name is Eric. God is saying, love me. I feel like some people are like, you know, Eric, you don't know my bank account right now. I'll tell you what God's saying to you. Love me. This is what's on his mind. This is what takes his heart's attention is to have all of your love. I'm going to end right here with John chapter 12. If you want to turn there, you can, but I'll read a part of it to you. In this scene, in John chapter 12, there's something that is very interesting to me. There's this woman. And this lady, I can't even talk about her because she, she moves me like nobody else in the entirety of the Bible. I love David, the man after God's own heart. I love Enoch, who walked with God and was not. I love all of these wonderful characters who God actually let their names be remembered because their names represent what and who they were. Some people want a nameless, faceless generation. No, no, he wants your name and he wants your face. Yeah, so this is his desire, his goal is to unite himself with you. Otherwise, it would have been there once was a man. No, it says Enoch. You know, books of the Bible are named after people who were merged with their God. Not people who nobody knew who they were. It was just somebody sometime. No, no, no. And every one of these men, whether it be Daniel, who's a man greatly loved, or Moses, the humblest man on the earth, or John, the beloved, it doesn't matter who it is. Each one of their names and what they experienced in God means that you can be that man also. They're just like you. And you can choose to have him or you can choose not to have him. It's up to you. So in this chapter, John chapter 12, we see that Jesus is inside of a house. And while he's inside of this house, this woman comes up to him. And it's really interesting what she does. It's, it's, actually, it's actually really strange. She takes, man. She takes a very costly vial of perfume 
And she breaks it and she pours it on his feet. I don't think there's anybody in this room that's ever seen something so strange. Have you ever been at somebody's house for dinner, then all of a sudden a random person just walks in and pours perfume on somebody's feet and then takes their hair and begins to dry the feet with her, her hair? She's in love. She don't care what nobody else thinks. She's so taken and captivated by him, she wants to give him not part of it, all of it, because he's all to her. And what you give and what you hold back are all a measure of your love. If you give him everything, that means he's everything to you. But whatever you hold back from him means he's not that to you. But I'm telling you, worship is real. When the inward gaze of the soul comes upon God. Worship is real when it gives its entire being over to Him. Here's real worship. I love you so much. Here's my entire being. Here's my mind. Here's my will. Here's my life. Here's my future, my past, my present. I give everything over to you. And this is what Romans 12 is talking about. That this is your reasonable act of worship. To lay every part of your being at the feet of Jesus because of love. <laughs> it's love that steals his attention. People say, I don't know how to experience God when I get alone. Oh, just love him. He can't resist it. There's no method. There's not a skip and a hop and a dance to be able to get God's presence like an Indian around a fire. It's literally just your heart going up to him. Oh, how I long for you. Oh, how I desire you. When I first got born again, I was pursuing God so hard. I ate as little as I could and I prayed as much as I could. I'd lock myself in the room for days, for weeks at a time with just a jug of water and a Bible. I was seeking God so hard. And His mercy and His grace, He met with me. But along the way, something happened that changed my life forever. A man came to pick me up on a road trip. To go on a road trip one time. It was just me and this older man of God. And there I was with my fervent pursuit and efforts and striving after God. I get into this car and the man looks at me and he goes, let's pray. So I did the only thing that I knew how to do and I started praying in the spirit. Just praying in the spirit. Fighting with God. Literally struggling, straining, sweating, trying to get God to do something. And this man, he just waited. He knew I would end up getting really tired. So he just waited. When I was tired, I stopped praying. And he waited for the smoke to clear from my all-out assault on God and hell and everything else. And then with the steering wheel in one hand and a steaming coffee in the other. He went just like this, ready? Jesus, I worship you. He got quiet. He goes, I give you honor, Lord. There's no one like you. He got quiet. 
goes, I worship you. The presence of the Lord so flooded that car. <laughs> I was, I started to weep. But I wept for two reasons. Number one, I could sense the presence of the Lord. But number two, I was very angry and frustrated with how easy he touched God. I learned a very valuable lesson that day. You want to know what it is? One ounce of adoration is worth tons and tons of efforts and strivings. What is adoration? I love you with all my heart. Here's all I am. I give it all over to you, Lord, even again today. With my weaknesses, my failures, my shortcomings, I lay everything down at your feet. And if you don't remember anything that I've said this entire time, I want you to remember these last two statements, and we're closing out right at this moment. The essential Christian message is not behave, but behold. Look at him. And if the sum of Christianity is anything, it is snuggle, don't struggle. If you're struggling, it's because you're not snuggling. And if you snuggle, you will not struggle. Eric, can you actually say that? Absolutely. It's called worship. That's how you... Go up into his lap and you lay your head on his chest. And what he is passes into you. <laughs> oh, how I honor you, Jesus. There's nobody like you. I worship you. Right there, right where you are, just close your eyes. To just avoid distractions. Forget about the person on your left and your right. Oh, how I worship you, Jesus. I give you glory. Just begin to let your heart go up to him. Oh, how I, I just love you. Here's all of me. Take my heart. Take my whole life. 